It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I couldn't be more excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Aaron Ross, author of the number one bestseller, Predictable Revenue, and author of a new book with Jason Lemkin of entitled From Impossible to Inevitable, How Hypergrowth Companies Create Predictable Revenue. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, great. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, where do I begin? We'll start, uh, with, I start, think... start with the nine kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, nine going on 12. Seriously? Where, yeah, Larry, at the time we're recording this, we've got nine at home, and there's three more we're adopting. So there's a couple 10-year-old boys from China who aren't related, who we're, I think we're picking up in a few months, and there's a newborn baby in Florida we're looking at. So of the 12 kids, and so we're there, I think eight will be adopted, either through foster or a national or domestic or some other version. And four, you know, a couple from my wife's prior marriage and a couple together from scratch. Like Got it. Got it from a little scratch. bit of everything. Yeah, yeah I like a lot that of diversity. From scratch. A lot of diversity. So cheaper by the dozen. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> not so cheap, though. Not so cheap. Not so cheap. No, no. I, yeah. At one point, you make a reference to the cost of a lease in Santa Monica. I thought, holy cow, if that's real, yeah. that's that's a number. Oh yeah, no, it's five figure per month. Wow. Okay. So now we know you're motivated to work. So how how'd you get exactly? Your start in that's sales? what I'm saying. <laughs> that's right. You talk about that, and we'll talk about that in the book. So how'd you get your start in sales? Well, a lot of people, if you've heard of me already, they would have heard of the book Predictable Revenue. And there I go into more detail. But I think that that, that book, and that was the precursor to the new one, From Impossible to Inevitable, that it all goes back to, um, yeah, I, there's like natural selling and professional selling. And I think in terms of B2B sales, I got started at Salesforce.com mm-hmm. back in 2002. And I actually got a, a, a job in sales there, and it was the lowest level job they had in sales because that's all they had, answering the 800 line, and you know making you know very little money and got very little equity at Salesforce. <clears throat> so I started early there, maybe with a couple hundred people, but as I say, not early enough. And I went to there. By the way, you might even be able to hear one of the babies screaming yeah, in the background yeah. if we're lucky. Yeah, yeah. we can. Yeah, no it's, problem. This, it's never quiet here. No, so not there's a lot of life. With, with eight or nine kids, it's never in fact, quiet. In I'm, I'm literally in a closet because there's no office. There's no place. I have to hide in my own house to do any kind of work. <laughs> but it's worth it. But I went to Salesforce to do sales. I wanted to learn how to sell because before that, I started an internet company and it failed. One, and we'd raise venture capital and so on. But one of the reasons it didn't work was because I, as the CEO founder, didn't know how to call it, professionally sell. Like every entrepreneur and anyone who accomplishes anything has to be able to sell. And if you raise money for a business, if you sometimes get a promotion or a job, if you raise money for a nonprofit, you start one, that's all versions of selling. And you always have to sell. But it's different than to build a company and have a, a organized professional selling effort that brings in money month after month so having a failure it's like okay crap i gotta know this as an owner how to sell i went to salesforce i learned a lot there by being in the trenches and it went on to uh create called uh you know the outbound prospecting team right where the sort of cold calling 2.0 sales process that helped add 100 million to their revenue in a few years 
my announcement probably more than a billion. Uh, and that was sort of, I guess, what has made me, you know, call it internet famous in certain circles. Mm-hmm. So I never thought I never thought I'd want to learn how to sell or sell, but I've appreciated now how vital it is, how everybody needs to know it. It's a life skill, and it can make or break your career or your business. And it almost sounds like from this new book that you almost learned twice, because you talk about you know once you started your own business that you start went through that learning curve again. Yeah, well, it's very different to be successful working for somebody and selling someone else's stuff. And then when you go out and create your own stuff to sell, it's a whole new experience for a lot of reasons. Two of which is because, first, you don't appreciate how hard it can be to get something off the ground. And not just to sell like a first thing, but to actually turn it into something you make money at. But second of all, when you create your own thing and sell it, there's so much more emotional involvement in making it perfect that a lot of entrepreneurs again, who might be very successful selling for someone else's stuff, where it's like, oh, yeah, if you don't buy the copier, what's the big deal? But when they sell themselves as a consultant or a product they make or their idea, they there's a lot more anxiety over, oh, are people going to like this? So there's a lot more resistance to even putting themselves out there or putting their stuff out there because of this uh, attachment, because it's me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They take it personally. Well, this book seemed, to me, seemed quite personal. Yeah, a lot of parts are. A lot yeah. of parts, uh, you know. It seemed like, seem like a story you had to tell. Yeah. And I think Jason and I, because you know, my co-author Jason Lemkin, he's a, you know, Uber, he's a Silicon Valley serial entrepreneur and VC and founder of uh, the Saster business, which is like, the, I think he calls it now, which is true, the largest community of SaaS founders on the planet. Mm-hmm. But we both have been through the ringer you know, time and time again, either ourselves personally with our businesses or seeing people we work with or advise go through it. And it's the idea of like, how do we, you know, help other people avoid all these painful mistakes that we've made or see people make time and time again in getting a company either off the ground or just getting into a growth mode. So the, the new book isn't like, it's not about how to have an idea, but the idea is if you have some idea or a product or something, it shows you how to turn, how to make money with it and in some sort of sustainable way. Yeah, and I think the the title, just so people don't get scared off by the title with the hyper growth and thinking it's purely for tech companies. I mean, this is this is a great book for yeah for SaaS startups, tech startups, but as you said, consultants, small businesses, anybody that wants to grow their sales. You really guys lay out a really detailed prescription for how to go about that from the beginning to the end. Yeah. No, I had a, I had a, a client who said too they. Should make it a high school text because if you really read it as an individual, it's like the same things that make your company successful and growing can be very similar, you know, with some twists to make you as an individual successful in your career. Exactly, exactly. All right, so let's sort of start at the beginning. In one of the early sections in the book, you talk about uh, nailing a niche, which I think is a great place for us to focus on. Mm-hmm. Because it seems to be the the trouble spot for so many companies is they try to preserve their options, right? You know, they try to, they don't want to exclude any opportunity, potential opportunity. And as a result, they don't focus on the one that, that uh, is going to be the success for them. Right. It's the fear of missing out, right? Which is, I want to be able to, you know, I, what if we, what if we could do big companies and small or United States and the world and 
you know, financial and, and this and that and everything. We want to be able to do everything, which just makes it very confusing to your prospects. And so they don't know what you really do, so they don't buy anything at all. It's the, what was this, the fable about the dog with a bone in his mouth? He sees the other bone in the water and he tries to grab and he drops. Oh, it drops, he drops his, 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 his reflection yeah. right on the water, right? Yeah, it's the same thing. So really what you guys talk about is the fact that you can do more by doing less. Right. It's, yeah, it, you know, about focus. So we call it nailing a niche or a niche. I think in Canada they say niche. Are you in Canada? No, I'm not. I don't I, I say niche. I don't, I'm not no, Canadian. No, no. Well, I'm from Wisconsin originally. Maybe that yeah. semi counts. <laughs> yeah, our, our uh, software company, you know, Carb.io is in, in Vancouver. So I'm always hearing a niche up there, but I say niche. I don't know. They both work. But the point is, when you f it's not about thinking small in terms of the niche. It's about being focused, about doing fewer things better, about standing, being, you know, standing out in one area, being a big fish in a small pond, in other words. And you know, like I say in the book, it's easier to make the pond smaller than the fish bigger. So in other words, it's easier to shrink your t the sort of the kinds of markets and customers you want to go after to fewer, more targeted types than it is to make your company or products sort of like bigger and more able to cover more types of markets. Yeah, because the downside is if you try to do more is you become less proficient in each of those. Yeah, and also and just confusing to the market. And I think what people don't realize, and this is in the same section, is that when you, uh, let's take a small business <clears throat> or startup, but this is actually also true of even big companies, but let's say you're a few hundred thousand dollar or, or smaller, even a few couple million, few million. And usually what you're doing is you're getting feedback from people who you know, customers. A lot of the customers are coming again through word of mouth or relationships or they heard about you or and you vastly underestimate what it takes in order to go market and sell to people who've never heard of you. Right. And you use the term unaffiliated customers, which I think is a good good term for people to yeah. keep in mind. And so you, you know, so you get, let's say you get 10 or 20, 50 customers and they've all come through some sort of connection. So they're affiliated in some way. It could have been a referral or, you know, friend of a friend, friend, friend of a friend. It could even mean that you have a buddy on the New York Times and you're able to get an article that way. Mm -hmm. But there's some sort of slack you're given. Right? It's not the same as if you're truly cold calling somebody and they've never heard of you or your business and you're trying to get them interested. So it's a great way, of course, to get off the ground. And usually you can get to like between $1 and $10 million if you're a company on the sort of organic or uh, relationship-based or you know, network-based growth. But to be able to go past that and actually create you know, predictable revenue that's under your control, a lot of this is learning you know, what does it take to find and reach out to and get interested and sell successfully to people who have never heard of you or your brand. And it's a much bigger challenge and people realize right and you use you refer to the term the trust gap at that point right so yeah when you're making well, sort of the reference to jeffrey moore and crossing the chasm and so on but you have that trust gap why don't you explain that yeah so i start i noticed this idea and this and there's a, there's art in the book there's a sketch of the arc of attention lots of venn diagrams in the book yeah good uh, good so, device yeah so there's this arc of attention and if you can imagine just say on the right side of this arc there's the trust side where there's you know if you there's people who already know you in some way and they're going to give you extra time you know it could be your mom or a friend so if you go to them and say hey 
friend, you know, would you sit with me for an hour to listen to this pitch and help me practice? They probably say yes. On the other side, the left side, there's this no trust area. This is the people who don't know you. There's no connection. And if you went to them and said, hey, if it, would, hey sir, you know, would you give me 30 seconds? You Say you're in front of Whole Foods Market and you're trying to get someone to uh, talk to you. They don't know you. You give me 30 seconds and they're usually going to say no. And they don't know you. And in the middle, there's this trust gap. <clears throat> you know, Jeff Moore called it, the rest of the version, you know, the chasm, across the chasm. In this book, I actually explain, or Jason and I, we explain why there's a chasm in the first place. You know, why is there this gap in the first place and how to get across it. But it involves, you know, there's, like, there's a matrix and there's these five aspects of nailing a niche. But it really involves how do you, you know, pick the right kind of target who needs you the most, right, where you're not a nice to have, but they really have a need for what you do. And then how to find them. You know, what does that need? And explain yourself in a way that they it clicks with them quickly. Because you might only have a few seconds or fractions of a second to engage them. You know, these people who don't know you and or your company. Exactly. So in other words, it's not like you know, going from these customers who know you in some way to customers who don't know you at all and being able to market and sell to them isn't like moving from San Francisco to San Diego. It's like moving from San Francisco to China. <laughs> Or maybe sometimes to the moon. To the moon, right? It's 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 a it's people. I said vastly, maybe it's dramatically, but there's just a huge under under expectation around how hard it will be for companies to get across this gap. Right. But well, you can. Some, yeah, I mean, there's there, and there's five characteristics you sort of alluded to them before that you talk about in the book that, that I think are really important for people to understand as they try to nail their their niche or their niche. Yeah, um, and, and maybe we should just go through those. First, you talk about a you know popular pain, mm-hmm. meaning it's something that's pain somebody has to have. Yeah, something people someone has to have a pain, and it's common enough where you have a chance of actually finding someone who has it. Right, because sometimes you, I mean, ironically, which sometimes companies get almost too focused in terms of what they think their their solution is, the pain right. they're solving. And it's so so uh, specific; they can't find anyone with that pain, or not enough to build a company. Yeah. So again, pain. There's a whole section on are you a nice to have versus need to have. But this idea that, like, you you're a need to have to somebody. And so it may not be, you know, people tend to spend companies too much time trying to sell to people who don't really need them. So again, pain. Like, where do people need you the most? Focus on them. So this idea of popular pain, and then tangible second, results. Yep, tangible results, which is how can you. If they don't know you, you need to have some sort of concrete way to show them what you deliver. Because right? they don't they don't really understand. They're like, well, how much money can you make me? Let's just cut to the chase. This is why it's hard for a lot of consulting services or if you do like sell culture stuff. No, we, we make your employees happier. And they're like, well, but what, I really, what do I really get out of that? And so the, you have to have proof, case studies or proof, tangible results of if we do this happiness workshop – not only will your people sing kumbaya, but you'll actually lower your employee turnover and save this much money. Like, people don't realize, you know, it's like, what this idea, like, what do I get? What do they get? And really laying it out in a concrete way. Mm-hmm. So that's hard. Uh, another one is identifiable targets. You know, if, if you can't sort of create a list of people you would go after, uh, either directly or if it's like channel partners or media partners, if there's no way to target that list, then you 
you can't you can't nail it really. You just gotta sit back and wait for people to call. So consulting, there's a lot of specialty consultants probably found this place where if all you did was serve CEOs with, um, you know, like you know our specialty, your CEOs have kids with bipolar who are under ten. Like you can't you can't get how are you gonna find find them? Right. Uh, another is believable solution. So there's two aspects to this, which is why should they believe your claims? Everyone now is, you know, can claim, hey, we can double your revenue, or we can generate leads, or we can make your employees happier, or we can help you recruiting. It's easy to make claims. Why should they believe you? That's one. Plus, if you do have a solution, they also have to believe. Why should they believe that they can do it? Everyone's busy. They're like, okay, I I think you can help, but they may not have the confidence that they can actually implement it and get the results you promise or the confidence that you can help them become successful yeah so it's basically it's the confidence in, in you and in themselves together and then the last point is but you call it the unique genius so how are you differentiated yeah it's a bit of an x factor because it's, it's a bit of a catch-all because there's all kinds of things that really can give you an unfair advantage you know anywhere from a certain kind of like there's a company and their founder had 20 years of experience in uh the support tele- the conference, they call it the call center, like support call center industry. Mm-hmm. Right? So that alone is, you know, can be part of their unique genius. But yeah, ultimately it's like what differentiates you? How do you stand out from the crowd? And it can be, um, you know, like one of, a lot of people, for me personally, for my work, you know, one reason I stand out is, you know, my art. Uh, or in, it sort of can be anything gives you an unfair advantage. It also is an X factor. Right. Okay, well, great. Well, we're going to take yeah. a short break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue talking about how to nail a niche, niche, niche. Went, niche or niche? Went, yeah, I went, exactly. I went, I, went halfway in, I went halfway in between the two. Um, so, but before we go, I, I've posed a hypothetical scenario for you that I question I ask all my guests on the show, and I'll take your answer when we come back after the break. Is so scenario is imagine that you've been hired as a new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out. And there's a high degree of urgency around changing the ship of state. What two things would you do on your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? So think about that, and we'll be back after the break with my guest, Aaron Ross, and talk about his new book. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Attention, sales leaders. Would you like to give your sales team the tools to drive more quality connects, scale their outreach, and spend more time selling? Well, you can with LiveHive. Get your ROI. Try it now at LiveHive.com forward slash ROI. That's LiveHive, L-I-V-E-H-I-V-E dot com forward slash ROI. Welcome back. To the show with my guest Aaron Ross talking about his new book, From Impossible to Inevitable How Hypergrowth Companies Create Predictable Revenue. 
So before the break, I'd pose this hypothetical scenario to you. New sales leader, company of sales installed. What two things would you do the first week that could have the biggest impact? Yep. Well, <clears throat> so there's usually two things I do. One is uh, a short survey, either sort of digital or in person. And the second is starting to figure out how to specialize the sales teams or restructure the roles because most teams still aren't specialized, mm-hmm. but sort of specialize the sales teams who've got the like prospectors who prospect, closers who close, you know, a separate account management team. And so the sales people aren't doing everything. You know, one person isn't doing their own prospecting and closing and account management and responding to inbound leads. Right. Those those are the two things that tend to first. You know, the survey exposes all kinds of issues you wouldn't know otherwise, and this restructuring or specialization is the that's the number one thing that will make everything work better if it's not already been done yeah i think it's worth exploring that again for people in the audience that maybe again maybe hadn't read predictable revenue hadn't <clears throat> excuse me haven't really been paying close attention to what's happening in the SaaS world and other industries where they're really adopting the specialized sales model maybe break that down a little bit for them so they understand you know if they've got sure. people that are doing full life cycle sales now what the specialization does and how it helps them sure uh, well, again, so Predictable Revenue was the book uh, I wrote, and there's probably three, you know, prior book I wrote, and there's probably three main ideas in it. You know, the first is that if you want predictable revenue, you have to have predictable lead generation. And along with that, there's three types of leads, right? Seeds, nets, and spears. So outbound, uh, seeds are word of mouth generated, nets are marketing generated leads, and spears are outbound prospecting. And each are great, but they've got, different funnels, expectations, and ways you generate them. Now, <clears throat> another big idea was specialization. The idea that uh, salespeople shouldn't prospect because they're not very good at it, they don't do it very well, and they just can't be consistent at it. It's very rare. Once in a while you, you have it, but it's pretty rare to have a salesperson that can juggle consistently both the prospecting and closing. Much more effective. Again, this is the number one. I always tell people, if you're not doing it, this is the number one thing to do. How can you create specialized roles of prospectors who prospect, closers who close, you know, account managers, managing customers, and if you have inbound leads, like an inbound lead response team. Mm-hmm. And the roles can vary a bit, but you know, the idea is you have more types of jobs so people can do fewer things better. And for example, let's just go back to the lead generation. Uh, again, with outbound prospecting has been my specialty for years. Right. You know, against in Salesforce, and that it's just having an outbound prospecting program can generate an ama- a, a tremendous amount of predictable pipeline and predictable revenue growth. And we had a company, an early client went from 20 million, this is a company called Responsus, went from 20 million in revenue to, to 200 million in revenue in like five years and sold themselves to Oracle for one and a half billion, almost totally on outbound prospecting. But it doesn't work and won't work consistently or predictably unless you've got people dedicated to it going back to specialization so to grow with predictability you need predictable lead gen that's not going to happen at least with prospecting unless you've got dedicated uh your junior people who are dedicated to prospecting and in partnership with the closers now i i i review in summary these ideas in the new book the four from impossible book but uh, again, those are the two, you know, those are the two or three big ideas from predictable revenue that I think made it. Uh, people call it the sales bible 
for Sil- of Silicon Valley now. Yeah, no, with good reason. So, so the fourth thing you bring up in this book and you get into is you know another revenue center, which is your customer success. And yes. And how that needs to be looked at as basically a revenue driving function, not just a, a cost center. Yeah. Well, this is one of these, you know, again, it's been four years or so since predictable revenue came out. And I've learned a lot since then around what does it take to grow a company or what blocks growth. It's all new, but it's sort of learned from, you know, when people tried to grow and didn't work, like why? So one thing that's I updated, I mentioned this idea of, of it's called seeds or word of mouth leads in the original. But now, like, you know, look at the best way to systematize word of mouth. So again, so there's seeds, nets, and spears, three types of leads. The seeds or word of mouth, which right, the best kinds of leads, highest close rates, fastest, but it's really hard to grow them. You can't just like run, in marketing, you can run more webinars or you prospect and you can hire more, more people. Word of mouth is tough. So the best way to systematize word of mouth is through an, uh, a customer success program of some kind. Usually that means you've got dedicated customer success managers. You might have, <clears throat> and the way you do it can vary. And in the book, there's a case study on how you, you know, can actually run this kind of team. But it means you're really taking a mindset at the company level too, which is we're here to make our customers successful. So the kinds of products we build and the kinds of people we target and the way that we sell them and the way we deliver it are all aligned to have customers, the right customers, sign up, you know, get on board and be successful. Because when we do that, we have lower attrition, we have sort of people, uh, more loyal customers, better case studies, better testimonials. There's there's a lot, like Jason, my co-author, says customer success is worth five times or 500% more valuable than sales. Mm-hmm. It's really your foundation of the company. So it's just this section of the book, talk about how do you systematize that function? Yeah, and also, also, I thought the part that was really interesting is that people probably intuitively don't really understand is that from a churn perspective, you know, especially as more companies have service components that their, you know, either their whole product is based on or it's part of their business, is that your churn rate really has to be a negative number. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. One, actually, I want to repeat something you said, which is really important, is the idea that customer success, whatever, whatever you call it, you're investing in making your customers successful. That's not a cost center. It's an investment. It's a, it's customer success is about driving revenue growth, not even customer satisfaction. And so you can have a lot of very measurable ways to say how customer success contributes to revenue or profit and so on. Right? And support, and there's these two sides, customer success, I think generally I think of as like a proactive function or mindset, which is how do we prevent problems from happening in the first place, like the wrong customers or you know, up, get upsetting them. Mm-hmm. And it's a complement to customer support, which I think, again, is reacting. Once there's a problem, how do we fix it? So that's, you know, the goal is uh, if you have this customer base of customers and you have low, first of all, none are, very few are leaving. You want fewer than 15% of your customers per year to leave. You're always going to have some leave. Um, but the ones that stay they're expanding and they're expanding more than 15 sort of to not only to catch up and cover all the revenue that the ones that left you're losing from, but they're up, you know, they're buying more expanding. And so you get, end up with negative sort of net negative revenue turn, 
or ne- negative churn on a revenue basis. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the customers you stay spend more. So that's right. where that negative churn comes from. And I think the other part. I think the best got... run companies. You know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just saying. Now, uh, about it's like a, a 120, a negative 20. So basically, like an extra 20% per year in, in revenue growth from negative churn is where a lot of the best companies are in the SaaS companies are being run get. Yeah. And the people that are running those groups or their account managers in those groups have quotas. Oftentimes, right? Yeah, they can. I'm, there could be different ways to measure them. But you know, the customer success team can be run like a sales team. And depending on whether you're serving, you know, one or more segments like enterprise versus mid-market versus small business, it affects not only do they have quotas of some kind, what kinds of metrics, how do they serve it. Uh, I'll give you, there's a case study in the book um, on a company called Guild, and their customer success team has three levels. There's like an enterprise version where they look like basically like quota-carrying salespeople, but just working with current customers. And they have a sort of middle tier for mid-market companies or they don't have a sales quota, but they've got a, uh, an attrition measurement or churn measurement to manage to. And there's a lower, sort of like a lowest level tier group, which is more like a customer support function. So it's a higher volume, but for lots of small customers they've got. Excellent. Good. Good information. So where can uh, people find out more about the, the book and about you? Uh, so for the new book, the best place is fromimpossible.com. And so from impossible.com. And, uh, you know, so there's that, I, <clears throat> a lot of my current work. So for years, most of my work and we do in the consulting and the prospecting and, and eating software, that's all at predictablerevenue.com. Great. Okay. So, so we're going to move into the last segment of the show. I've got some rapid fire questions for you. You can give me one word answers or you can elaborate as much as you wish. So <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the most powerful sales weapon in your arsenal? Um, that's a great question how about my book okay which obviously is fueled by your knowledge of what you're you're doing so yeah um, what tool do you use for managing your own sales that you can't live without that's a good question my team (laughs) (laughs) you mean I should ask them that question well, no, they're my tool (laughs) we, we are switching from pipe drive to Salesforce internally Okay. And we use Google Doc. I don't know this stuff, but it's basically they, you know, I don't know. My team is my tool. They're doing that, right? Who's your sales role model? Um, that's a good question. Do I have a sales role model? I feel like I do. Uh, you know, sort of my general role model was for a long time has been Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. He, in fact, so I mentioned the idea of sales as a life skill. Um, he sort of failed to sell England on the value of. Um, getting ahead of the German problem, but then he successfully sold England on, you know, standing up to Germany and and sticking through to the end of World War II. Right. So I guess you gotta. The thing is, any kind of there's a, there, in the new book. There's a section called "Do the Time" about the journey and there's ups and downs. And I just when you read about what he had to go through and what England had to go through, especially, uh, just it's amazing. You know, very impressive the kind of grit and just determination and even dealing with things like he. Was, had depression and what he was able to accomplish. So, okay, Winston Churchill, good answer. So, besides your own books, what's one book every salesperson should read? Uh, you know, there was three books. I'll pick one. Sorry, but you know, the three most influential books on me and my sales career 
aren't sales books actually, but that's fine. The the simplest one, the one I would recommend first, everyone is called Wooden. It's about the UCLA basketball coach John Wooden. It's like a little blue book on Amazon, right? And the other two I'll just mention. One is called the Toyota the Toyota Way. It's about lean manufacturing, which is to me very inspirational in terms of the sales systems that I did at Salesforce and later. Mm-hmm. And the last one is the Four Agreements. Okay, I don't know that one. It's uh, they're all bestsellers. Yeah, wouldn't one I point. know? Yeah. I've read. Yep. Okay. The Four Agreements. Do you know who that's by? Um, I'm totally blank. That's I do. Right. It's a famous. We'll look it yeah. up. Put it on the website yeah. so people can find it. Yeah. All right. Tough question is, you know, what uh, when you want to go get away from it all? What's the, what's your favorite music to listen to? <laughs> yeah, because oh, frankly, I can't get away from it all. It's <laughs> impossible. But um, you know, right now, but actually, the whole family, almost not the whole family, but we all love the Christmas carols. There's a station here in Los Angeles called Coast. It's 103.5. Yeah. And it's always fun, especially so we will play them. But then my daughter, old, mid daughter Aurora, who's now about to be 13, she and I will do a freestyle Christmas carol. I wouldn't call it rapping, but we'll just right. make up new words as the song is playing. And uh, it's fun. Very so cool. it's probably the most fun uh, music that we play, at least for me. All right. So, last question. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? By salespeople, um, you know, it's usually something like, "How do I sell more?" <laughs> I think, you know, that's just not a helpful question. It's like going up to someone, "Hey, how do I live my life better?" Right. You got to come up with a more, I think, the more specific, the more you know yourself and the kinds of problems you're dealing with and what you want to do. Bet easier it is to come up with a better question or a question that is not only easier to answer, but it's more useful too. Yeah, good skill for selling, right? Yeah, no, yeah. It's, and for life. And for life. Yeah, life, right? sale, life is, sales is life skill. Well, that is. That's can't in the last section of your book, and I, yeah, I think it's a great, a great uh, section. You can't accomplish anything in life without being able to sell yourself, your ideas, or some kind of a product. Yeah, well, I think uh, in Dan Pink's book, uh, Sells Human, I think, but fully three quarters of U.S. workers identify themselves as having to sell an idea or something as part of their, their job. Yeah. So actually, if I was getting my soapbox for the last few seconds, sure, go ahead. I think a lot, a lot of people resist, oh, I don't want to have to sell. You know, I don't have to manipulate people. I don't want to have, like, I, why can't I just like have people come to me? And I empathize with that because I've been there. I felt those same things. And I think if you just get over it, say, like, if you learn how to sell... You can sell in an honest and in ways that help others and yourself at the same time. And again, you're not going to be able to do anything. You're not going to be able to grow without learning how to sell and sell well. So don't don't hate the word sell. is not a four-letter word. Like learn to embrace it rather than resist it. Yeah, I mean, I I say in my books that selling is a service. Can be. Yeah, I mean, customers. You know, customers are looking for help to make a, the right decision about a specific product or service. Yeah. You're providing a service to help them do that. So, yeah. All right. Well, good. Well, I want to thank you for joining me, my guest again today, Aaron Ross, author of the number one bestseller, Predictable Revenue, and a new book, From Impossible to Inevitable, How Hypergrowth Companies Create Predictable Revenue. Uh, Aaron, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, Andy. Hey, thank you very much. Really uh, had a good time today. Great. Me too. And so remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help accelerate your success. 
subscribing to this podcast is an easy way to do that because then you won't miss any conversations with guest experts like our friend today, Aaron <laughs> Ross, who share their expertise and experience about how to accelerate the growth of your sales. So thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation, free trial of my zero-time selling interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my zero-time selling interactive training system is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone and text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? Send a text to 96000. That's a nine and a six followed by three zeros. Now enter the single word message trust and hit send and you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my zero time selling interactive training. I look forward to seeing you there.